of how to be counterculture in hot topics. I give it up for Steve Brand. Come on, Steve. All right, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, I want to share why I do what I do. I've been where you are. I was converted in campus ministry as a junior at Eastern Illinois University. I was there for a year and a half. I went to the University of South Carolina to graduate school. Uh, hated graduate school, went to ministry, <laughs> loved the ministry. I was in the ministry for eight years. Met my wife, Terrell. Uh, she was one of my flock. I oh. dated and married out of my flock. Wow. I got the pick of the litter. Oh. She was the best, so I'm grateful. And then we went and planted the church in St. Louis, went to Boston for more training, led a BUBC, then got out of the ministry, and I went back to school. I was one of the first older guys to go back to school to do what I'm doing professionally. I've been doing it for 25 years. And so I've seen 25,000 hours of individual counseling. And there are people that come in and they say, how in the world can you do what you do? I love what I do because I'm back in the ministry. And my ministry is a counseling ministry. I use the Bible in every session almost with disciples. And I make a difference by helping people heal. But I want to help you kind of change your paradigm about how you look at people with, let's say, a mental health problem. Okay? Because we like to make jokes. You want me to crack a joke right now? You know, because it's kind of a heavy topic, right? But I've seen a bunch of people in here, and I, I, am, I really appreciate Jordan saying that he came and saw me. I think that's fantastic. One of my favorite things to do is to help leaders be better leaders, to help Jordan be a better Jordan and a better husband for Latoya. That's, that was my goal. But I do see people who have mental health issues, and for most of America, and this isn't a racial comment, but for African-American America, there's a big stigma on having a mental health problem. But that goes for white America too, you know? But I wanna look at what the Bible says here about just the concept of weakness. Because there are different kinds of weakness and you guys are here because maybe some of you wanna be leaders, right? And sometimes you can feel someone with weakness like Jesus, when the woman touched the hem of his garment, he felt power going from him. And you can feel certain, certain people can drain you. And maybe you're one of those people. You know, you might need to go to therapy because you're too needy or because you're codependent. But the weak among us are there for a reason. I want to look at the Bible, see what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm in a brand new Bible and the pages aren't opening. But I get there. I get there. There we go. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, you see, not everybody can be a leader, right? Yeah. If I'm not a leader, if I'm not a hand, 
I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, now look at this, verse 18. God, God has arranged. That's the weak and the strong. God has arranged... God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, we can't all be quarterbacks. We can't all be cheerleaders. We can't all be sorority and fraternity guys and girls. Okay? We can't all be leaders. And so there are people that we convert. There are people among us. There are people that are here right now who are not a hand or an eye. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So if you're a leader, it's not like Jesus to be annoyed with people that drain you, with people that are weaker than you, okay? It's like Jesus to give time to the weak, to be engaging, and then to be able to discern if this is a professional problem, you can't handle it and refer out, okay? Because there are some things that take up a lot of time in campus ministry a lot of man hours, a lot of woman hours, that you're just not designed. You're not trained. You, haven't, you don't have the education. And it will just suck the life out of you because you don't have that expertise. Mm -hmm. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, now look at this. Those parts of the body, verse 22, that seem to be weaker are what? How could... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker be indispensable. They teach you how to do the most important thing, that is love. If, you're, if you don't have love, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? You're a clashing, banging gong or a clashing cymbal. You're just a noisy leader without love. Okay, You're just a loud, big personality without love. Okay? So on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Do you treat the SSA brothers and sisters in your church with special honor? Or do they feel like they are this little subset over there? Do they feel like they've been marginalized, disenfranchised, out on the outer fringes of your fellowship? Because they shouldn't feel... What about mental health? What about somebody that struggles with depression? Do you treat them with special honor? Now, that may not mean you become their therapist. You may need to refer them out to get a therapist, hopefully a Christian therapist, not some worldly person that's going to tell them, no, the Bible's not the Word of God. Abortion is okay. Same-sex attraction, now that's fine. Pro-choice, yeah, go ahead. You, you don't want to send them to a non-believer. That's like... King Saul going to the witch of Endor for advice. You remember that in the Old Testament? Yeah. You don't want to send people to a worldly counselor. But you want to figure out, okay, what can I handle? What can't I handle? Yeah, that's great. Let's read on. Awesome. The parts that are unpresentable. Okay, someone with a handicap, someone who is SSA, do you consider them unpresentable? Are they the untouchables? Do you make them feel like they are a pariah in your ministry? 
are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, there are some people that don't need special treatment. Okay? Now look at this. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. The weak people, the people that struggle in your ministry, they're there to teach you how to love. They're not there as a burden. They're not there in your way to reach your goals as a leader. They're there to teach you how to love. And so there should be no division among you, no division in the body. That as far as should have equal concern. Equal concern. Do you see that? Verse 27, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And let me finish up with the Bible there. I've got a few things to share, and then we'll be out of time. Just going to come in here and talk at 2.40 about racism. So let's take away the stigma from mental health. Let's call it professional discipling. If you go to a Christian counselor, especially a, a, a counselor like me who is a disciple, you're going in for professional discipling. Okay? If you're temporarily depressed, college students get depressed all the time. Yeah. Some of it's episodic with finals and crunch time. You're not getting enough sleep. Okay? Some of it for women is related to PMS. There are all kinds of reasons people get depressed. Okay? There may be abortions in your past. There may be sexual abuse or um, physical abuse or harshness with a parent in your past. All those things need healing. And you've got to know what you can handle and what you can't handle. Okay? I want to talk for a second about suicidality. Okay? There, if somebody says they're suicidal, you should take that seriously. Write that down. Take that to the bank. Now, on suicidality, there are, there's a, a spectrum. There's a suicidal thought. Most of us have had them. Honestly, if we, if we were honest about it, we thought, hey, what if I died? Would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Suicidal thought. Then there has to be a plan. Then there has to be a means to carry the plan out. So if you say, I have a thought and I want to run my car off a bridge. We well, have to have a car. You have to have gas in the car, right? Or I'm going to blow my brains out. Do you have a gun? Do you have ammunition? Okay. But you have to have a thought, a plan, a means to carry it out, and intent. But you're not a psychiatrist. You're not working in the ER. And there are some people in your ministry that will cry wolf like they'll talk suicidal all the time. And you know, sometimes you just need to call their bluff. And you need to say, okay, let's go to the emergency room. Let me call 911, and the ambulance will be here in a minute. And they'll go, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. It, it's not your job to figure all that out. It's better to refer that out to a professional. But here's an important thing to know about human behavior. There are rewards for behavior. A child, if you're pushing a child through in a grocery cart, through Publix, and the kid screams bloody murder for a candy bar, if you say no every Tuesday when you go grocery shopping, and you say no, 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 and then one Tuesday you give that child a candy bar in a weak moment, 
That kid's going to be screaming for that candy bar for the rest of his life. Okay? So sometimes with suicidality, if you give people too much attention, that's a positive reward for a negative behavior. The answer sometimes to suicidality is let's go, let's get you to the doctor. Let's get you to a professional. And all your campuses have therapists and psychiatrists that they can see, even if they're not a Christian, just to check and see how bad things are. There are people in all of our ministries that sometimes that go into the hospital, into the psych hospital to stay alive. It's better to go to the hospital and stay alive than actually commit suicide. I've got a memento in my office of a friend of mine that I baptized and discipled who committed suicide. And it's there to remind me that even me, the therapist, I can't stop people. You can't really stop someone from committing suicide, but you can refer them out and get them to professionals who can discern how serious it is. I would just be careful not to play doctor and not to try to, to suck too much time out of the mission working with somebody that you don't have any business working with. Now let's go to same-sex attraction. I've talked to a lot of people, men and women. These days, men and women are being exposed to porn at a young age. Sometimes little boys look at the squigglies on the squiggle channels, and they try to figure things out, and girls get into their dad's porn. And it's amazing to me now that even as Terrell and I do premarital counseling with couples, how much porn is affecting people. And if you saw Time Magazine a month ago, there were some young men in their mid-twenties that were quoted in an article, and they're saying, we need to stop porn, because it's messing up our ability to get appropriately aroused in marriage. It's totally messing with people's heads, it's messing with their bodies, it's affecting people. And so, you need to realize that that that's an issue. But back to same-sex attraction, talking to the brothers most recently, they can feel, like if, you, if, I, if I share some heterosexual struggle and I say, yeah, that's just like yours, that's not even close. Yeah. Yeah. If I say that, I'm an idiot. If I try to say, okay, my little heterosexual struggles are just like yours, bro. You like guys, I like women, good luck. That, that doesn't help, okay? Because the majority of the culture is heterosexual. And if you struggle with being a lesbian or if you've been in a homosexual relationship and you become a Christian and you're still same-sex attracted, there is a lot that goes with that. Okay, there's depression that goes with that. There's actually a lot of suicidality. And one of the highest suicide rates is among conservative Christian men trying to be pure who are same-sex attracted. Did you know that? So it's a struggle. So in your churches, I would encourage you to have groups. We've got a group here of guys that get together to talk about that. Have groups to talk about that. Give people a place to go where they can get some help with that. But don't try to say your heterosexual struggle is just like theirs because the majority of the culture is heterosexual and a tiny part is not. And those people who come out of a homosexual or lesbian background they're struggling with stuff that you don't even comprehend. And it, it's, it's a battle. It's a struggle. It's depressing for them. Yeah. And, and again, there's a lot of suicidality with that. Looking around. 
codependency is a topic I want to cover. This is a big one. And it's a buzzword in our culture, and most people that use it have no idea what it means. But what it means is this. If I... If I try to take on the whole world on my shoulders, and you as a leader, some of you are leaders because you're really good at getting things done, and you just take on more and more and more and more, and you can get addicted to helping people in, in the wrong kind of way, okay? You can become a people pleaser, you can become a rescuer, where you lose yourself in helping others. And that's the best way to describe codependency. You lose your ability to say no. You just become a yes person. You don't even think for yourself anymore. And I know, because I sat in your chairs, and I was in leaders' meetings, and I want to be a leader meeting, and I became a campus minister and an evangelist and planted a church. So I know there's a lot of ambition in the room. But you've got to know what you can handle and what you can't handle. Yeah. Yeah. And what you can handle with compassion and with love with proper boundaries. And what I'm talking about, look over in Psalm 16. We've got three minutes. Psalm 16. Verse 5 and 6, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God's boundary lines, whether it's around sexuality, uh, male and female in marriage, as opposed to homosexuality, lesbian, SSA, you know, that, that struggle, or whether it's around what you can handle and what you can't handle. God's boundary lines are in pleasant places. Look for one final scripture in Galatians 6. And here's a, a tension in the scriptures that I want you to see. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. Some of you are really, really good at that. It says, carry one another's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5, each one should carry his own load. Amen. Have we found the one contradiction in Scripture? <laughs> carry one another's burdens, carry your own load. You've got to know when to do one and when not to do one. Amen. When to do one and when to do the other. So I can't have your quiet time for you. Yeah. Now, if you're a baby Christian, I might have my quiet times with you for a few days, you know, maybe a few weeks. I might teach you. I might take you with, you with me to show you how to evangelize. But you can't take on everybody's stuff all the time. That's what this is saying. You can teach somebody how to fish, but you can't always just go fishing for them and do everything for them. You have to teach people to be responsible. So you need to be raising up people to be responsible and not taking on everybody's stuff. And that's what codependency is all about. That's a whole topic, and we could talk hours on it. Um, main thing I want to say is know when to refer out. Know what you can handle, know what you can't handle, 
have compassion for the weak among you, whether it be mental health or people who struggle with SSA or whatever their issue is, have compassion for people. But know what you can handle, what you can't handle, and refer out. Now, Jeff's going to come up here and talk about racism. Are you ready for me to solve all the racial issues? Yeah. 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 Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I got it. I'm going to do it all right now. Um, uh, I was involved in a, a meeting I could not quite get out of, so I, w I, w I wish I could have heard, Steve. That's okay. But you're Shannon's awesome. Okay. So. Um, I, I was asked to share about this, and I, and, and I want to share with you. I, I spoke in January. It was, uh, it was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Um, and, you know, I've spoken whatever. In the last, what, 52 weeks, I probably preached 20 Sundays. But I, out of the, all those times speaking, Whatever I said on that MLK weekend, I've gotten so many, way more responses for that one message. And it all had to do with one small comment that I made, and actually something that I didn't say. But the context was we were doing a, uh, a series on Nehemiah. And uh, what the, uh, I had a point in my notes that I was going to make. And the basic point was that what I appreciated about Nehemiah was that he reminded the, the, the Israelites who they were. You know, they, they were God's people, and, and they, had a, they had a role to play in the world. And many had stopped doing it, and the wall had been broken down, and they hadn't really done anything to change it. And so what Nehemiah was great at is he was inspiring the, the, the God's people to be who you are. You know, you've got this great history, this great tradition that God has called you to be. Live up to it. And I had in my notes that, that's what I appreciate about Martin Luther King Jr. was that he was simply calling America to be America. If we're the land of the free, and the ho let's let's be let's let our people be free. You know, let's live up to what we say we're all about. If we're about freedom, don't make it segregation happen. All of the, let's be Americans. You know, but in the middle, I was in the middle of preaching. I saw my notes, and I looked down, and I and I, and I was something. It's just I, was, I, I don't feel safe saying that right now, and and so. You know, I, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't want to go there. And um, and I and I even and I even said, you know, something along those lines about just not feeling safe to share about like racial issues. You know, yeah. in the in the church. And I can't tell you how many people, you know, came up to me. And what I also shared was, and then I, and I started talking about how that can be a sensitive topic. And uh, and sometimes we don't realize how uh, how a person's race can affect them. Right. And how, how they view the world, right. and what and how, it, how how things make them feel. Sometimes you just don't get it, right? Sometimes you just don't get it. And I used an example that uh, I can't tell you how many times in my life people have said to me, in some way, shape, or form, something along the lines of, "But you're not really black," yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in, in some in some kind of way, right? And these could be like friends. And the crazy thing is, is the crazy thing is they'll say it laughing. Yeah, right. Like I'm supposed to think it's funny. Yeah. Like I should laugh along with them. Come on, Jeff. Come on, Jeff. You know, oh, but you're not really black. Uh, and, and so it always messes with me. And to me, it just shows a level of insensitivity. Yeah. And just you don't get it in this. Yeah. 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 
that sometimes can be a little mind-boggling, especially when I'm in my family at the church, right? And so on one level, we're supposed to know the scripture that teaches, you know what? There's no slave or free, right? Hey, no male or female. Hey, we're all just one, right? In Christ, we don't need all those, those barriers. And so on one level, as a Christian, like, I know that. I know that. But on another level, I feel like if you don't even acknowledge who I am, then I feel like you don't get me, and then I don't like that feeling. And then even to the point of, of basically saying you're not even who you are, I mean, what is that? That's not funny to me. But the fact that somebody can say it, and then I go, okay, well, what do you really mean when you say that you're not really black? So let's dig down into that comment. <laughs> so in order for me to really qualify as black, what do I need to do? This, so I, okay, no freckles. Okay, so I got to get rid of my freckles. I got to, does my skin need to be a little darker for you? For you to allow me to be black in your eyes? So do I need to like mess up my grammar a little more for you? So that then you'd feel more comfortable allowing me to fall into the black category? Do I need to wear my caps a little to the side or backward? Do I need to let my jeans go down a little more? I mean, what, what, what helps you to, to just look at me and look at me as a black person? Come on, Jeff. Because when you say you're not really black, to me that tells me something about what you're thinking. You've got some, maybe some thinking that is just askew and you may not have ever been called on it. And I'm not even saying that you're intentionally racist or you're trying to, but I'm just saying you don't realize how insensitive. You can create another barrier for the gospel and really reach to somebody and not even realize it. Because somewhere in your mind you have these thoughts about people. You know, I've, I've had Asian friends. I, I, I remember one time, I, one of my buddies, Will Chunga, so he, I think he said something like, man, I've never been good at math. And somebody said, oh, man, I thought all of you were good at math. Oh. <laughs> Do you know those moments where you just go? <laughs> <laughs> and again, the person that said it, no, they were not trying to be mean. Right? It was just, man, I just thought you were all good at math. Wow, dude, really? That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. We, and I think we have these thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we even let them out of our mouths. <laughs> and what, what I'm saying to you guys is you got to be careful in this world because you can, again, you can <coughs> put, a, put up a barrier for the gospel that doesn't even need to be there. Yeah. We've got enough problems trying to get people to follow Jesus, right. you know, before we, you know, deal with these types of thoughts. So, you know, Again, I only got 10 minutes. Um, you know, racism, you, know, you look it up, a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities. Race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities. That's one, one definition of racism, I found. And another is racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And again, this has nothing to do with whites against blacks. I mean, you can go anywhere. You Haitians, people, right? Dominican Republic, you, wherever. You can go in Central America, people are dealing with stuff. South America, I mean, wow. And that's another thing in my house. I mean, I was trying to teach my kids, right? They're young. Oh, yeah, so-and-so at school, he's Mexican. I said, oh, okay. Well, do you know where he's from? Right, because you don't just call Latin just Mexican. 
Because that might be offensive yeah. if you're from Honduras yes. and you're not from Mexico. Yes. So don't just call everybody Mexican. Right. <laughs> and you might not think that's a big deal. Yes. But to some people, that's a big deal. Yes. And it just shows a fundamental insensitivity. Yeah. It's a fundamental unwillingness to, to have compassion and meet somebody where they are. To help them get to the cross. Yeah. And so just be careful that you don't unknowingly just deal with people's race and pigeonhole them in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And then and then the scary thing, the racism part, is when there's superiority or, uh, well, you're this race, so therefore you must be like this. Yeah. And so we, we as the church have got to fight against that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the beauty of... of uh, of Jesus is that he didn't care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Canaanites, amen. Samaritans, whatever. Romans, bring it on. Greeks, let me meet you. You know, Jesus was willing to interact and intersect and heal and help and touch whomever, right? And we've got to figure, even though he was a Jewish male, right? He still figured out how to have compassion for anybody and didn't allow the person's race to be such an issue to where he could not help them or share the message of the good news with them. And so I, what I guess I, in wrapping up, want to just challenge you with is just this. is I really don't think that the Bible wants to minimize our ethnic or cultural or historical or racial differences or pretend like they don't exist. I'm not sure if I believe that. I actually believe we're to see the beauty in all of our God-given diversity and strive to allow the message of the gospel to unite us into one family. So you don't pretend like somebody has a different race. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Embrace that it does exist. But all the while believing that the only way we can all be one is through the message of Jesus. Is that there is a way that the black person, the person from Honduras, the person from, you know, South Korea, there is a way that we can actually not even think about those barriers so much, but all be in one family because of Jesus. But that that's the that's the one solution to end racism, in my opinion, is the gospel, is the message of the gospel, because the scripture says that for he himself is our peace who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Ephesians chapter 2. So I think I'm out of time, but I'm supposed to call up Steve for a question and answer. So we got, we got like about... Nine minutes, that's really exact, for a uh, question and answer. And so since I'm running this, I got a nice question for you, Steve. All right. If someone says, hey, I'm, I'm depressed, can you give us like some no-nos of what to say? Like, for example, I know this is one like, hey, just go pray about it. No, stay up here, Steve. Oh, so if you ask questions, all right. Like, hey, just go pray about it. Like, just Sometimes people say I'm depressed and I'm on medication. Don't ever tell somebody to get off their medication. That, that's one thing, okay? 
Don't say, hey, skip that psychiatrist appointment and come over here. Get them to keep their appointments, okay? Um, depression is the common cold of the brain. Here's what I like people to think about, is if we can put scientists to create a rocket to overcome the Earth's gravity to put a man on the moon, then doctors and pharmacists and chemists could come together to get medications that correct brain chemistry. If someone had diabetes, they wouldn't feel ashamed to go to the a doctor and get insulin, okay? Or to get an insulin pump, or to take little pills for their diabetes, okay? So don't make somebody feel ashamed if they are clinically depressed. It's the common cold of the brain. It's not the end of the world. And the best treatment for depression is therapy to deal with the underlying problems and medication. That's scientifically proven. The right wing and the left wing of the airplane, just like the word study, life and doctrine. Therapy and medication. Therapy addresses the underlying issues. Medication addresses the brain chemistry dysfunction. Does that answer your question? Yep. Okay. You guys can call whoever I want. I don't know, right here. Um, so you mentioned um, you were talking about SSA brothers and like how when you talk to them, like saying like like my heterosexual problems are the same as your heterosexual problems and how unhelpful that is. Thank you for saying that. Um, what would be a better response? Like what's a better way to just be there for them and to really make them feel heard um, during that time? Well, I think empathy and compassion is the right response. I think to to respond with, you know, I have no idea what it's like, you know, living inside, dealing with that, that you're dealing with. And, and some people are bisexual and they're attracted to everybody. You think about how, how brothers have to struggle with, with lust and same-sex attracted brothers have to struggle with lust toward men. Well, bisexual people have to struggle with lust toward everybody. Yeah. To say, I, I can't imagine what you go through. I can't imagine that struggle. I can't imagine how hard that is. But I know that in Christ, just like we learned about this morning in the sermon, there's power in his name to break the chains, to break every chain. And so there's nothing that can't be broken. You know? that, that's the message I would send. And I would also talk about deep healing. We're having a Restoration of the Heart conference here in June where we're going to be talking about deeper healing, for deeper issues. And it's some of these issues and just some of the stuff that happens in our childhood, even in a good family, okay? We're talking about those kind of healing possibilities that the blood of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, you bring it to those issues. Because those issues have solutions and you don't have to just give yourself over to it. Yes? Um, Jeff, this is a question for you. Um, I feel like it's really easy for white specifically to make comments because um, I think there's a lot of uncomfortability that comes from like our ancestors history with slavery and all of those different things and so I know I've heard comments here and there that like kind of like what you were saying just seems so casual and I've I've had different sisters come to me and say that like when they tried to address like I felt like you were looking down on me, like not to me, but like talking about a situation with another white sister, um, that like they feel like they can't 
be heard because they're like it's almost like oh they're they're just bringing up it's a race thing you're too sensitive about it mm -hmm. and I feel like for me as well I feel like I've heard so many backhand like just under the table kind of comments from like all like spectrums of even leadership mm -hmm. and I feel like it's something that I get really frustrated with because I don't totally know how to address it because I think that sometimes they are innocent comments but they're just not thinking through it and so how I guess as a white like sister and I guess the white, my white brothers as well like how can we handle those situations when someone brings up race that we don't shut it down and downplay it because I've seen that a lot and heard about that a lot or else like as well how do we like try to help like other people as well when we see it and it's not necessarily directed toward us mm -hmm. I mean I think the scripture that comes to mind is actually the one I think I shared uh, yesterday is the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters and it takes a man of understanding to draw him out and uh, Proverbs 20 verse 5 and I, and I just think that that concept to me is, is helpful in an individual situation if somebody is feeling like man I'm trying to get this out and no one's listening or I feel like this, this issue is I think the best thing you can do in that moment sounds like what you've been talking about empathize but with the heart of trying to dig down what's in there oftentimes that helps the person immensely um, I know for a fact I've seen I've seen it happen where Sometimes, like an older white guy will come to me even and just say, "Hey, man, you know, I, I've seen some things here at the church. I feel bad about when it comes to race. I just want to know, man, how do you feel about this?" I go, "Man, that blows my mind. I'm like, wow, finally somebody shows that they care. That does a ton for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, in those moments, I think the best thing you can do is just pray to be like Jesus in that moment. Pray to try to draw draw them out in their heart." And quite honestly, it's a tough situation. I mean, there's, there's like I think uh, Ed was talking about, that it's going to be an awkward situation a lot of times. It's going to be awkward, you know, but pray for the Spirit to give you what you can say and how you can interact with them. Um, and sometimes you might decide you want to pull someone aside, you know, and say, you know, you said something that I think. But sometimes I think it's often best to pull a person aside yeah. and kind of have a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. You know, I think what you said may be insensitive or... You know, I, I don't get where you're coming from. Maybe you can help me. I want to understand, but I don't really understand right now. But I don't want you to feel like I don't care. Can you explain this to me? And so everybody trying to do things like that, I think over time it creates a culture that can really help change, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to give a, 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 a kind of a cookie-cutter answer, but that's what I got right now. That's great. Let's see, we got a, a guy, a girl's a guy. How about we do that? Uh, we only got two more questions left. All right, well, you, you, you call. You call them. Then. Oh, there you go. Pressure there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes you kind of see the, the, the 
I had that same, seriously, uh, I've shared that even at North River in the past. That's what I grew up with. I mean, my, my, my mom, my grandmother, you cannot trust white people. I remember them saying they will smile at you in their face, at your face, but when you're not there, they're telling their kids, don't hang out with him. Don't. That was just the kind of stuff I grew up with. So that, that's my mindset. That's my worldview. You know what I mean? And so then all of a sudden, I end up leaving schools and going to... Mom put me in this private school, and I'm like one of four black guys. And I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, this is not good, Mom. You told me not to trust these people. Uh, you know what I mean? So but if I were in your shoes, I guess if I was in your specific situation, um, I would, what I would probably do is I'd probably set something up, the anti-thing of what you just went through. Like, in other words, I'd probably find some white brothers that I know, right? And just say, look, man, here's a situation, man. We just got to hang. You know, we, we got to hang out. You know what I mean? And food is a great equalizer, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm telling you what, man. If you can get some white brothers, some black brothers, some Asian brothers, some Latin brothers, you just bring some food in there, man, start talking. Man, after a while, everybody is chilling. You know what I mean? Um, but on one level, I'm being real, is I do think there are strategic ways you can bring people together. You know, Paul was a bad dude, right? He was a bad dude. This is not a racial thing, but I'm just saying, it's the principle to me works. Paul, Saul was a rough dude. Saul was not, I mean, wow, what he had done to Christian people. And he wasn't accepted. People didn't trust him. But you know what it took? It took a guy like Barnabas to literally take him by the hand and bring him to the Christian community. And basically, you know what? This guy's had a genuine conversion experience, and you need to really love this guy. But it, be a Barnabas, man. Figure out in your context how to bring people together and be okay with one or two at a time. Yeah. Just making one or two at a time. Don't always think, I got to change the whole church. <laughs> one or two at a time, man. And just like anything else, it'll grow, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that is my, I don't know if we're done. All right, last question. I'm biased, so let's uh, here we go. That's one. So, I went to therapy 25, 1989. How long ago was that? My disciple drugged me to therapy with my wife, and they listened to my wife for an hour, they listened to me for an hour, and then they told me it was all my problem. But, uh, but I, I, I went, say you'll go with them, be a bridge and go with them to the first appointment, you know? Because a lot of people do have the stigma about mental health. Yeah. Uh, and you can help erase that. Especially if you're going to a Christian counselor. Like if you're at North River 
and you know somebody that needs help that doesn't want it or doesn't want to get it, say you'll go with them to the first appointment. I have people in there all the time with their disciplers because I want their disciplers to see how I handle it and learn from the situation. So that's what I would do.